as we continue now through the study of the Word and the continuing worship of our Lord, let me ask you, how many of you guys remember the guy out in California who went to Army Surplus, he bought 45 weather balloons, filled them with helium, and then proceeded to attach them to his lawn chair. Anybody remember my guy? Yeah, this guy's name was Larry. Larry did just that. He went and got these 45 government surplus weather balloons, did not fill them with warm air. He filled them with helium. He proceeded to tie them off to his lawn chair. He added his cooler that has some entertaining beverages in it, and then he had his pellet gun because his pellet gun was going to be the way he deflated the balloon so he could get back down. Well, Larry had done his research. He thought he had read many articles on weather balloons. He thought when they released it from his Jeep CJ7, that's where they had it anchored and tied off, he thought that he would level out about 30 feet, that he would hover and it would just kind of hang out about 30 feet. Well, here was the thing, his friend who was also engaging in these uh, entertaining beverages with him. Uh, Larry gives him the signal, cut it loose, and he cut it loose. Well, he he made it to 30 feet and a little further. Um, He didn't level off at 3,000 feet. He made it a little bit further. In fact, here's where we know he leveled off. He landed at about 16,000 feet. At that point, he was afraid to start shooting balloons because he was afraid he would descend too quickly. Here's why we know he was at 16,000 feet. The jets that were in the exit and takeoff patterns at LAX Airport in Los Angeles were calling it in. Some of the calls to FAA went like this. Uh, Tower, you're not going to believe this. There's a guy in a lawn chair drinking a beer. No kidding. That was one of the... Another one was, this is Pan Am flight so-and-so, so-and-so. Tower, you're not going to believe this. There's a guy in a lawn chair that's got a handgun. I mean, they're calling this in. Well, here was the only problem for poor Larry. He got up to 16,000 feet and was so terrified, he didn't know what to do. What he did not know was this. If y'all don't know this, at 16,000 feet, there's what we call trade winds. Trade winds were blowing west. You know what's west of California? Yeah, it's called the Pacific Ocean. It's a real big body of water. Larry starts heading west, and now he's out over the ocean. I don't know if y'all know how the story ended or not. Coast Guard. Coast Guard gets a helicopter. They get above Larry somehow. They drop a rope to him. He ties it off to his chair. <laughs> oh, you can't make this stuff up. They haul him back in. Helicopter hauls him back. I mean, you got the weather balloon, lawn chair. Larry's riding in. Well, as he's coming in, they're giving him instructions. and He starts to slowly shoot the balloons. They finally land, and they land him on a beach of all things. I mean, beach vacation. It's great. And so Larry lands on a beach. What he didn't know was there were FBI agents waiting for him. <laughs> Because in case you don't know this, it is illegal to launch an unauthorized aircraft into LAX FAA airspace. And he had violated federal law, and he got a federal sentence because of his lawn chair episode. Now, now Larry, Larry had no confusion. He didn't know if he was doing what was right or what was wrong. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what he said. The last statement he said in his interview was this. It didn't turn out quite like I thought. And it didn't for Paul and Silas either. And you're like, Paul and Silas did this too. No, 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 no. Paul and Silas did something that was really correct. It wasn't questionable. What they did was they actually cast out a demon out of a girl who was demon-possessed. Yet, you would think, instead of, you know, you would think people would get excited. This girl's got newfound spiritual freedom. She's no longer under possession of an evil spirit. But that's not the reaction they got. See, See, what happened was this girl was making them lots of money. And so instead of celebrating this girl's newfound spiritual freedom, they actually take Paul and Silas and, and they not only beat them, but they put them in shackles and they put them in prison. And I can imagine there for a moment, Paul, Paul and Silas had to be looking at each other going, that didn't turn out quite like I thought. But because they really thought they were doing something good, which they did. 
And so here's what I want you to think about this morning, not Larry and the balloon, but more so along the lines of Paul and Silas, that sometimes when we take a stand for what is right, the only reward we get in exchange is suffering. And I want you to be prepared for this. Please hear me, because we're going to talk about ethics at the end of our time together. But like, what type of ethics are we as Christ followers supposed to follow? If, if in taking a stand, I know that bad things may happen, do I then change the stands that I take? And so, so these are some of the things we want to explore as we go through our text this morning, focusing on this idea of there could be bad things happen to us if we choose to do what's correct especially in the political climate in which we now find ourselves. And so again, let's process through this this morning. So pray with me as we study the Word together. Father, we love you. Thank you for giving us the privilege to give you worship already. Thank you for Shad and all of our team that leads us each week for the giftedness that you have imparted unto them, their willingness to, to use it to serve you by serving us. And so, Father, now that we are engaged in worship with you, I pray that you would just enhance it, that through your spirit there would be this, this spirit of attention, this spirit of unity, this spirit of focus. Father, all your Holy Spirit leading us to engage in the deeper truths of your word. And as we find you there and meet you there, that you would impart to us your wisdom. That, Father, not only will we disseminate this information, not only will we distribute truth, but, Father, we would look for ways in which we can apply truth. For, Lord, I, I can give this information out, but if we choose not to utilize it, it does nobody any good. And so, Lord, give us through your Spirit this motivation to take truth and then use it when we leave this place. Uh, and, Father, I pray that what we leave here with is some really solid ground about who we're supposed to be as ethical creatures. That, Lord, we were created in the very image of God, thus our ethic is stamped from the beginning. Lord, help us to see that in this text as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would start reading with me there in your text in verse 16 of chapter 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Okay, a couple teaching points right in the middle of all that. One is they were on the way to prayer. So here's what I want you to grasp. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. It is called a discipline because it is hard work. I don't know about you, but my prayer life sometimes does this. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when, when they're reading my heart activity and my heart kind of does this, you know, and, and you hope it's that way and not this way. You know, and so sometimes my prayer life gets like this. Sometimes it's really intense, and it's focused, and it's personal, and it's intimate, and then sometimes it's just not. And that's why it's called a discipline, because you have to work at it. It doesn't just happen naturally. Same thing with our biblical intake. That's a spiritual discipline. Fasting is a spiritual discipline. Solitude is a spiritual discipline. Quietness, silence, believe it or not, is a spiritual discipline. We'll talk about these a little bit later on. But, but again, these are things that they were practicing. So, so if you're going to find yourself with an ethic that has you doing what is right, even though suffering may be the outcome, you have to have a setup for that. There's got to be a foundation. The foundation for our ethic are the spiritual disciplines we find in this book. That's the foundation for our ethic being what it's supposed to be. Secondly, notice, the slave girl had a spirit. That phrase, a spirit that can predict the future, believe it or not, that's one word in Greek, one word. We came up with all those words in English from one word. It's python, which you and I would pronounce as python. 
It's python. It's the symbol of the snake. In case you don't know, the symbol of the python was the symbol for Apollos and his oracle. If you don't know Greek, it's okay, Greek mythology. Apollos was the Greek god who could predict the future, but the only way he could predict the future was by relying on his oracle who could see into the future. Let me share with you why Luke, who was very educated, picked this Greek word. Number one, we know he was inspired by the Spirit, but number two, It's indicative of something that is not of God's spirit. So when he says she has a spirit, what he's implying here through the symbol of the python is that it is mystic, it is supernatural, but it is not of God. So it would then be evil. You do understand there's only two sides to the good evil coin, right? There is God, good, and there is evil, bad. That's the way the coin works. So what Luke is trying to to give to us is this. There, there is a power here, a supernatural presence, and this presence is not on the side of our God. Now, there's also something about this ability Luke clarifies for us. So notice, notice what he says. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. Mantevome is the word we translate as fortune-telling. What that word implies is this, is that it's a hoax. It's not actual ability. It's a way of making money. So, so, so it's like a palm reader. It's like whatever. You do know this, that Satan, as wise as he is, cannot accurately predict the future because he doesn't control it. See, the only thing Satan could predict, he could say, so I sit down and Satan goes, Justin, in the next 10 minutes you're going to have a flat. The only way Satan could predict that was if he was going to make my tire flat himself. He can't read the future or tell the future because he doesn't control the future. So you do understand this, you worship a God who does. And so Luke is trying to get us to understand this girl is predicting the future, but what he points out is this. It's all a hoax because it's about the money. She's making money for other people. She's not even making it for herself. She's making money for other people. So that's why she's referred to as a slave girl. Verse 17, as she followed Paul and us, so Luke uses us because he is still with Paul and Silas and Luke at this point. She cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Man, don't miss this. This is so cool. The way. That's the word hodos in Greek. You know what Jesus said about himself? I am the way, the hodos. And it doesn't mean like a path. It means a journey. Jesus says the only way you can journey to God, the Father, the Creator God, is to journey with me. I am a journey. Notice what this evil spirit says. You can't miss this. This is really important spiritually. The evil spirit says these men are telling you about the hodos. Well, what are they teaching about? They're teaching about Jesus. The evil spirit is agreeing that the hodos, Jesus, is the way to salvation. Y'all, he's evil. This spirit is evil. So here's what, what I want you to grasp in your mind. Therefore, you do understand evil spirits believe in God. Evil spirits believe that Jesus is the path to salvation. But are they going to be in heaven with us? Shake your head big time. No, they are not. You know why? Because they're not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Salvation is not simply believing Jesus is real. There will be a lot of lost people in hell that believe Jesus is real. Salvation is your submission to the lordship of Jesus over your life. That's why the demons won't be there because they rebelled against that lordship. So I don't want you to ever be confused. We will never soft-serve salvation and say, oh, just believe, just believe, just believe. It's not just believe. Demons believe. James says, good for you that you believe. The demons believe. It is those who are in submission to Jesus that will go to heaven. And so the demons believe. And notice what else he says. Not only are they teaching about the way to salvation, They are servants of the Most High God. This is a demon recognizing Father God is the Most High God. They believe. They know the outcome. If God's the Most High God, you know that you lose. And yet they still fight. 
and they still resist, and they still reject, and they still rebel, and they defile. And so you've got this evil being that is recognizing the very person of God and who God is, that these men represent that God, and yet that evil being would never submit to our God. So do understand, belief is not all that's there. Submission must be there to the lordship of Jesus. She did this for many days. So here's what I want you to understand. Paul was tolerant for a while, and I'm going to encourage you later to be tolerant in the midst of people who will not treat you well, who will be unfair to you, who will disagree with you, and especially in our political climate that we're now in, be tolerant if you can. Paul was until when? Notice, until she started messing with his work. Notice what he said. Paul was greatly annoyed. (laughs) This is what we call righteous anger. I get angry a lot, but many times it's not righteous. I get angry when the lug nut won't go back on the bolt. It makes me very mad. I get angry when I'm under the sink and I'm working in a space for someone built with six-inch arms, and mine aren't six inches. They're a little bit longer. And I'm doing the wrench this way because I can only move it two inches at a time. And then that wrench, which is adjustable, loses its adjustment, comes loose, hits something else, and falls and hits me in my forehead. It's happened. It's true. It makes me mad. You do understand God's laughing. That's not righteous anger I'm experiencing. God's having a good time at that point. Paul's got righteous anger. Why? Because this is interfering with the work of the gospel. This is drawing attention to him that is not popular, not with God. He's like, hey, you're becoming a distraction now. And so Paul becomes righteously angry. Notice his response. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, And it came out of her right away. Don't miss this. Here's what Paul said. Notice he did not say, I command you in my name. He didn't say, I say to you, come out. What did he say? I command you in the onama of Jesus Christ. Onama is the person. Paul says, I so represent him, I am representing him. I I so represent him, I am the same as him. So Jesus is commanding you to come out. Here's what I want you to to gain from that. Here's, Here's another one of those little teaching nuggets. I have shared this with you hundreds of times in almost eight years. You may be the only Jesus anybody else ever sees. Are you living it well enough that you would state to an evil spirit, I tell you in the name and the person of Jesus in me, get out. Let me give you one that's more real. Are you comfortable parents laying your head on your pillow? knowing that you've been Jesus enough to your kids, they have a chance to go to heaven because of what you've done. Or your coworker, or your students, teachers. Can you lay your head on your pillow knowing in the very name of Jesus, the very person of Christ, I've been obedient and submissive in front of you so much so you can know him. Paul wasn't being boastful. Paul was simply stating a fact. I have lived and chased after Jesus so hard, I can tell you in his authority, get out. That's the kind of Jesus life we need to be living. That's the kind of ethic we need to display, regardless of situation. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, okay, so again, here's the deal. Spiritual freedom should have been celebration, right? What was the priority? Money. Y'all didn't know the, the American culture existed before America, right? Yeah, yeah, money. The goal was money. 
convenience, ease, resource. When they realized profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. Okay, here's my question. Y'all may have caught this. As I was reading through this, I'm like, okay, all of a sudden, Luke quit writing in first person and started referring to third again. They seized Paul and Silas. Where, where was Luke and Timothy? I mean, you know, you know, your friends are your friends that go with you, right? All four of them together, but they're about to drag these dudes off into jail and beat them. And, and I don't know where Luke and Timothy went. And, and so, y'all, listen, you can't leave your friends when it gets hard. And I'm not claiming that they did. I'm sure they went into town to get some bread for lunch or something. So... They seize Paul and Silas, and they drag them into the marketplace to the authorities. Okay, so uh, my, my kids, Caleb, will get to go do this in the spring. He'll get to go to Greece and Italy. He'll get to go to the Agora, the marketplace. We would say it in English, Agora. The Agora, the marketplace, was the place where all judicial processes took, took place. It, it wasn't just where you went shopping. It was like the social hub of the city. So, so literally, it wasn't like a court building. So like here, we would go to the Taney County Courthouse. No. There, you would go to the marketplace because that's where everybody went every day. And, and so I, I've got an issue. So, somebody's got a problem with me. So, so my buddy Brian here, Brian's done something and I don't like it. And so I go down to the magistrates at the marketplace. I said, hey, Brian did this. They're like, we're Brian. Hang on. Y'all go grab Brian. And so they literally, they go grab Brian. Brian has no idea he's done anything wrong. But he just got called into a trial. They didn't set court dates. They didn't have all those things, those dockets set up. You just walk down there and said, hey, Brian did this. Uh, you got witnesses. Yeah, I got like six of them. Drag Brian here. Now, it'd take 12 because Brian's a big old guy. And so we're going to get 12 or 13 to get Brian there. And so Brian comes kicking and screaming. Here's the only problem, though. He's only got his side of the story. I got 12 people. And so the magistrates go, hey, did you do this? No, I didn't do this. All 12. Yes, he did. He did. He's guilty right there. Literally, this is how their trials went. They were like very speedy. They were very fast. So, so here's what happens. Cast demon out. Girl is spiritually free for who knows how long but they've cost them money, and so these people being influential, Paul and Silas are outsiders, they drag them down to the Agora. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews, they are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Um, okay, so you do know sometimes when people will speak out against you, they will actually lie. You do grasp that, right? In case you don't know, you might not have caught it, they just told two lies. Here's what they said. They're disturbing the crowds. Who was disturbing the crowds? The guys who lost the money. Paul wasn't disturbing the crowds. He was disturbing a spirit. He wasn't disturbing any crowds. It was the guys who lost the money who riled the crowds up. So, so that was lie number one. Lie number two was this. He said they are Jews and they're having us do Roman practice or custom that's not legal. You do understand that's also a lie. Not the fact that they were Jews. They were Jewish Christians, but they were Jews. Did you know in Philippi it was legal for a Jewish person to try to proselytize or try to convert people to Judaism? And, and so what they were doing was actually legal politically, religiously. They were doing nothing illegal yet. These people told lies. You've got two people, Paul and Silas, who are outsiders. You've got several people who are local and insiders, and they're telling lies against the outsiders. And so who do you think is going to win this case? Obviously, it's going to be the insiders. The crowd joined in the attack against them. The chief magistrate stripped off their clothes. Uh, the word clothes there is imation. Imation is the outer garment. So, so please hear me. They would not have been nude. It wasn't like that. They would have taken down their top garment, their outer garment. So the only thing that would have been visible would have been the chest and the back. Typically, the punishment we're going to talk about was administered to the back. But those of you who have ever corporately punished or corporately punished your, your children, you know, sometimes it's a moving target. You know, and it might be just a little off. Well, 
Same thing happened there. We're going to talk about how they beat them, but sometimes people would move and they would strike a leg or a head, neck, whatever it may be. So again, the punishment was intended to be applied or administered to the back. They stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. Um, according to 2 Corinthians 11.25, Paul had this happen three times. So, so this is time number one of Paul's three times of being beaten with rods. And when they say rod, here's what they mean. It was in reference to a cane. Y'all know what a cane pole is, right, that you go fishing with? You, you know when you get the green ones? Not, not the ones that are hardened that you can actually kind of break or snap. The green ones. The green ones are really firm, but they've got just a little bit of elasticity to them. That's what they would use, but they would take about five or six of those, and they would bound them together with leather. So, so I don't know if you've ever been hit with something leather or not, but it will cut the skin very readily, very easily. So they would take these rods, put five or six together, bind them with leather, and then they would beat you across the back. Well, of course, it would cause lacerations, tearing of the skin. Uh, and notice, notice how long this went on. It wasn't about severe. They used the word severe, but they kind of miss it in Greek. After they had severely flogged them, the word severe is police, not how we spell it, but P-O-L-Y-S, police in Greek, and it means many are uncountable. So they beat them an uncountable number of times. Like, there wasn't like a number where you go, okay, you get five lashes, or you get ten. No, no they just beat them till they got tired of beating them. And so you can imagine how messed up Paul and Silas would have been. This was a very agitated crowd because their money was lost, and so you've got a major problem. They threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. And yet, church, please hear me. The only thing they actually did was something good. The only thing they did was cast out a demon. Casting out a demon cost the owners money. They didn't steal money. They cast out a demon. They got accused of two false things. They were lied against. Then they were beaten unfairly, unjustly, thrown in jail. Now they're in stocks. And so, again, for doing something good, their only reward was something very negative. It was suffering. Well, let me give you another real-life example. It's not in the Bible, but it happened closer to where I'm from, back in Mississippi. In Tammany Parish, Louisiana, there was a guy named Jamie Montgomery. Jamie's just a hard-working guy. He's in construction. He was driving home one day on his little two-lane road there, and as he was going by a utility pole, he saw what appeared to be a DeWalt tool bag. Now, for those of you who don't like tools, you know, tools are toys for guys. And so a DeWalt tool bag, that's a cool thing. That's a good thing to have. Well, he, he sees a DeWalt tool bag sitting over by what appears to be like a telephone marker, telephone pole with all the cables. And so he sees it says, man, dude, somebody left their tool bag. He appreciated that. So he stopped. He gets out. He gets the tool bag, looks inside. Man, it's, it's got a lot of tools in it, a lot of valuable stuff. He's like, man, I don't want to just leave it. I'm sure somebody will come back. But if I leave it and somebody else comes through, I don't want it to be stolen. So Jamie goes over and beyond. He, he takes the tool bag, puts it in his truck. He happens to have some poster board there. And so here's what he does. He takes his poster board. And this is the actual sign. No kidding. It's affixed to a tree. That it kind of looks like a telephone pole. It's actually a tree. You can see the moss on it. And so he, he puts this sign, found the Walt bag, gives his phone number. Please don't call Jamie on his phone number. Probably hasn't changed. He's not going to like that. And so Jamie goes home. He's got the tool bag, carries it in his house. He said literally he had barely set the tool bag down on his table when his phone rang. He's thinking, oh, cool. Somebody's calling about their tools. Oh, hook back up with them, give their tools back. But it, it wasn't the owner of the tools. It was the county magistrate calling to let Jamie know 
that in Tammany Parish, it is illegal to litter. Put up a sign on government property. And Jamie said, I put it on a tree. Yes, but the tree is within the county's right-of-way of the road. And so they fined Jamie $165 for his sign. Jamie, this is a true story. You can't make this stuff up. Jamie was fined 165 bucks for doing something that was good. He simply wanted to protect somebody's property. By the way, he did end up getting the property back to the rightful owner and yet still had to pay the $165 littering fee. Now, please hear me. I'm not being critical of Tammany Parish. I'm talking about the fact sometimes when we do stuff that is good, the outcome for us is not good. In fact, we would think the outcome is bad. So here's what we're going to do as Christ followers. I am giving you a new way to live your life much easier. Who wants to live easy? Yeah, we want to live easy, right? Okay, so I'm going to give you a new way to live your life today. We're going to start practicing what I call situational ethics, meaning my situation will determine whether or not I do what's good. My situation is going to determine whether or not I do what's right. So from now on, First Baptist Church Forsyth and folks listening on the radio are going to be crashing, running off the road right now because they haven't heard the rest of the story that I'm going to give you. Just hang on. We're going to start practicing situational ethics. So if it's going to benefit me, I'm going to do the right thing. If it's not going to benefit, I'm going to lie like a rug. Yeah, uh, situational. My situation is going to determine who I am. Look up here. You better look at me. No, we're not going to live like that. We don't practice situational ethics because does my situation have anything to do with who I am? No. Is whether I receive good or whether I receive bad, rain or sun, does any of that affect who I am? No. Because the ethic that now dwells in me through the person of the Holy Spirit is not changeable. It is flawless, and it is holy, and it is righteous, and it is good. Thus, we will continue to do what is right, no matter what the outcome may be for us. Because we don't practice situational ethics. We take a stand for what is right, even if it costs us our very lives. Even if the government shows up here in front of our church, and please hear me, it's not as impossible as you think it may be. They show up here in front of our church and they put chains on the handles and say, if you try to enter and you try to preach the Word of God, you try to gather as a Christian people, you will go to prison. Don't think it cannot happen in our lifetime. It's already happening in Canada. And so please hear me. We will not determine how we are going to behave based on the situation we find ourselves in. We're going to keep doing what's right. No matter what. And if we're doing that, if we're doing that, biblically then, I should be able to look back in this text and say, hey, this is what Paul and Silas was doing. This is what we are going to do. So number one, here's what you need to keep doing. Number one, you need to practice the spiritual disciplines. You cannot develop the character, the nature, the attributes, the ethic of an eternal holy God if you do not know him. Let me say that one more time. You cannot develop an ethic that is defined by the attributes, the nature, the character, the person of Christ Jesus. Thus, you can't state as Paul stated, I state on the name, the person, the character of Jesus Christ this. You can't make that statement if you don't know him. The only book in the world that actually defines who he is is this one. There are some very good books written about this one. 
And they enhance your study of this one. But if you want to know Him, you have to read the letter that He has written to you. This is not a book about God. This is a book from God. And what it shares with you is the very nature, the very character, the very ethic of God. And that's what we find from start to finish. And so if you're going to live an ethic that is unchangeable, it is immutable, meaning time, situation, circumstance doesn't alter my ethic, then it's got to reflect the words of this book. So how do we know the words of this book? Man, we study it. We read it. We pray over it. We pray individually. We pray together. We seek, get this, we seek solitude. So we can be alone with it. We seek silence so we can hear it. Let me give you an example. Just last night, no kidding. Anybody outside last night? You don't have to explain what you were doing. Anybody outside last night about 9 o'clock? Y'all, y'all know how the wind blows here all the time during the you know, January, February, especially March. You know, just the wind blows. Last night at 9 o'clock, dead quiet. Carried the dogs out. The clouds had started to clear. You know how bright the stars are, especially in those crystal clear you know, winter nights? Dead silence. You could hear God speak clearly. Dead quiet. God was just speaking about his glory through creation. Justin, look at these trees. Not a leaf is moving. Look at the stars. I named every one of them. I moved the clouds out of the way so you can see them. Because he knows I really like to look at the stars at night. No kidding, that's the honest truth. Love it. Love it with a passion. And so in the silence of that moment, I heard God's reality. Just like I've heard it in this book. He speaks through nature. He speaks through people. But if you want to hear him more clearly, you've got to practice these spiritual disciplines. Hey, try just being quiet. Just step outside and just try being quiet. No phone, no TV, just silence. God will speak to you. Number two, be tolerant. Notice my clarifying statement. If possible. If possible. You do understand we live in a political climate where there's going to be lots of disagreement. People are entitled to their opinions and they're entitled to be wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Be tolerant, if possible, with those who don't believe or think like you do. However, if at any moment it starts to hinder who you are as a Christ follower, my toleration ceases. I will not give ground on my beliefs with anyone. If it's something where we can't agree to disagree, you know, there's certain theological concepts we can disagree on. That's what denominations are. We disagreed on certain things. But you know what we don't disagree on? We don't disagree on that Jesus is it. So we can find some common ground there. So we, we're tolerant, if possible. We display the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, goodness, all those things, gentleness. We, we display those if we can, because that's a part of who we are. And the only time we step up like Paul did is when the work of God is hindered. When our stance with God, our relationship with God, our representation of God, when those things are going to be hindered, that's when I'm not quite as tolerant then. 
up until that point, practice tolerance. Here's what that doesn't mean. Tolerance is not you going on social media and slamming people and thinking you must be heard. Remember that spiritual discipline of silence? Sometimes it's better just to be quiet. And that means in your writing as well. Careful what you put in print. Very, very careful what you put in print. Number three, only express righteous anger. Um, Here's kind of the rule on that. If it would make God mad, you're good. But if you're honest with yourself, how often do you express your anger and it's something God wouldn't be angered about at all? God thought it was kind of humorous when the wrench hit me in my forehead. He wasn't mad a bit. I was. That's just the way it is. God doesn't get angry about those things. There are certain things God does get angry about. Anything that's in conflict with Scripture, God would be angry about that. Jesus kind of started casting some tables in the temple. This is supposed to be the worship place of peace, right? Jesus called absolute chaos there. But again, it was righteous anger. Paul just brought down everybody on his head. But it was righteous anger. Careful with your words because we tend to express our unrighteous anger with our words. Here's what I tell my criminal justice students all the time. If you squeeze that trigger and you release that round, you will never be able to bring it back. When you start flapping those jaws and that tongue gets to lashing, you may say you're sorry later, but you can never undo the cut that's already been made. Cannot do it. You cannot make it well. You can apologize. You might soothe over but you can't take away the scar. Careful with how we express our unrighteous anger. Number four, expect others to prioritize the wrong things. Uh, Again, people have a right to be wrong, and if it's contrary to Scripture, they're wrong. That is our grounds. It's not personal opinion. Please hear me. Where do we draw lines in the sand? We draw lines in the sand over the principles in this book. It's not my opinion of things, it's what God's opinion of things are. That's our ethic. Our ethic is determined by the very character and the nature of God reflected in these pages. And so this has to be our focus every Sunday when we gather from kindergarten, preschool, all the way through the time we spend in this room. This has to be our focus. Why? Because this is where our ethic comes from. Because this is where the picture of our nature is found. The very words of these pages. And then number five, this is where we close. Be, just be prepared to be treated unfairly. If you're going to take a stand on biblical principle, which means controlling your tongue, and you're going to have to defend yourself all the time, just be prepared. People will say stuff about you that's just not nice. They'll say stuff about you that's not true. And you know what? That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Let the Lord take care of your vengeance. He says vengeance is His. It's not yours. Let the Lord take care of it. Most often it is best for us to just clamp down, be quiet, not respond, let the Lord handle it. Because He says He will. Here's what we can trust. The Lord will handle it. So two questions this morning. This is it and we're out of here. Two questions. Number one, for everybody in this room, are you sure you are on the hodos? Remember what He said? The demon said, Paul is teaching you about the hodos of salvation, the journey of salvation, the way to salvation. The only way to salvation is not a route, it's a person. 
And you must journey with that person. It's not a one-time decision. It's not a one-time commitment. It is now a lifelong journey. Are you sure you're in a lifelong journey with the man named Jesus who is God, who came in the flesh to offer salvation? There is no other source outside of him. Are you sure you're on that journey? If you're not, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Give us one, one chance to share with you what that journey looks like. Here's how we do that. When the service is closing, we're going to stand up and pray in just a minute. When we start to do that, there's going to be some folks right over here. They're our prayer response team. They're our PRTs right over there. They are prayed up. They are ready just for you because here's what they want to do. They want you to give them one shot to open up the biblical text and say, this is what it looks like to be on journey with Jesus. This is what salvation looks like. It's not enough that you simply believe It is that you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What you're saying to God is this. I agree with you in front of everybody that Jesus is master, owner, ruler of my world. So it's not just belief, it is submission to, it's obedience to. Belief is the beginning aspect. God gives you the gift of faith as you start to believe. Then what he calls you to is a life of submission and obedience. And here's what John says in 1 John. Only those who make it to the end, meaning you don't ever get to jump off the ship. Once you get on the ship, this journey with Jesus, you got to stay on it. Even when it gets hard, even when obedience is not fun. Only those who make it to the end receive salvation. Are you sure you're on the hodos with Jesus this morning? Number two, if you answered yes to that, I'm absolutely certain. Then then here's my question for you. Of your last seven days, of your last seven days, how many of us would be able to say in every circle in which we've stood, In every interaction with every person in which God has placed us, I was acting in the very person of Jesus Christ. You heard what Paul said, right? In the onema, the reputation, in the person of Jesus, get out. Here's what he was saying. Not in my power, not in my name, not in my authority. I am acting so much as Jesus. I am acting as him. How many of us in every circle, every step, every encounter, every influence, every impact this past week could say that we were Jesus in every moment? And if you can't, here's the question God would ask. Not me, but God. Why not? If that's the ultimate priority, God didn't save you so you'll avoid hell. God did not save you so you would avoid hell. God saved you so you would be the very nature and character of His Son, Christ Jesus. Image given in the garden, image marred by sin, image returned in full when Jesus comes back. What's your image been this week? Who has it looked like? If it's not Jesus, we need to use this time to confess.